All right, we are back. This is the newest, latest episode of Behind the Wheels Podcast. I am your host, DJ Artistic. I'm a DJ based in Los Angeles, California. I would like to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's the word? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the musicologist. I'm a writer, blogger, and a content creator on the planet of Brooklyn by way of South Carolina and D.C. Brooklyn in the building. This is Behind the Wheels. We talk about everything past, present, and future regarding black music. So we can go ahead and get in, into it. So the, the biggest topic the last week, of course, has been that Kendrick Lamar album. We waited for about five years for it. Yep. It, it was a lot of, lot of hype. And it feels like overall the reactions are more positive than negative, but still a bit of... It's very polarized, and I would say it's probably his most polarizing uh, project. And before I even talk about that, I want to just ask you directly. So I'm sure you heard it. I'm sure you heard uh, Auntie Diaries. Yeah, I've, I listened to the album yeah. like three times so far. Okay. To digest okay. It. So yeah, I did hear it, and I know everybody is talking about his language and the song. Yeah. And, um, the subject matter. I it's it's kind of tricky, right? Because as a black man, you know, you and I, I can say the word nigga around you all day. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not going to use the F word around you because you're not a black gay man like I am. But around yeah. black gay men, I do use it. So <laughs> it's kind of like... That's funny. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like our own pocket that, you know, we're allowed to use this word because we know the pain of the word. You know, yeah. like, like the N word. Like, we know the pain of it as black people, as black men. So we can use it, but we don't want Sarah from accounting and Brad using that word. So yeah. I didn't take as much offense to it as everybody else. Um, because I think in this day and age, you know, people always want something to pick apart. Like, it's got to be yeah. something. So I didn't really take offense to it. I did kind of like, you know, turn my head when I heard it. Like, okay, he, he went there. But... Mm -hmm. I ain't mad like everybody else. Not because I don't think it was meant, you know, to be derogatory or to be harmful towards anybody. Um, and I think that's actually part of his job as, you know, he's a gifted, gifted lyricist. And he has a way of making you pay attention to things that we normally would not pay attention to. And I think that's just mm -hmm. what he does. I don't think he meant anything by it. I know everybody's going crazy, but I'm, I'm actually yeah. okay with it now. Yeah, I was curious because it's one of those things where me being heterosexual and cishet, as everyone on Twitter says every day, um, <laughs> it was where I had no opinion on him using it because, like, it's where me being, you know, in my position, for one, I can say that us growing up, um, you heard the F word on radio and on TV where it was right. still, like, commonly used. And half the time it wasn't even used against gays. It was just used as an insult because... Growing up, saying gay was an insult enough. Right. So it was like just using that word, period. So even on like um, on the message, uh, Furious 5, uh, Grandmaster Flash, he says it used to be an F. And then a lot of songs in the 90s and even early 2000s right. would say it. And it was on radio and it wouldn't get beeped out. And uh, I mean, a lot of us did laugh uh, Friday after next when uh, when uh, Day Day said, <laughs> you know, you like this, your son's a blank. And it was where <laughs> even in that era, I feel like, it was where we knew it was a derogatory term, but it it was the last 10, 15 years where it was like, okay, that's something that we just don't say anymore. We can't say it and we have to be apologetic for it. So, right. so when I heard it the first time and Kendrick said it, it was just kind of like, oh, he's actually saying the word. And it's like, 
I I get how he was using it, but it's where I can understand that somebody could be offended too. And right. it also shows that that LGBT crowd is not monolithic at all because it's not a case of like, okay, you ask one, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you and say, okay, well E B is that so because he said it's okay, it's okay. It's where right. everyone feels different about it. So I understand that. And um a lot of folks even had an issue with him dead naming. I had to Google what dead naming meant. I didn't know what that meant. So that's for anybody who's not familiar, that's when if someone is trans, if you call them by their uh, birth name and, and uh, their previous gender, original gender, um, birth gender, I should say, mm-hmm. name and not their current name. And I didn't realize that, that was a thing. And after I, after I saw people complain about that and I heard it again, and even how he was saying my auntie's a man now and like the way he, the way he twisted it, it was weird. It's tricky. I mean, he would say he would speak present and past tense every like eight bars. He would say right. he would speak from the past saying, okay, she was this. Then he would say, now he is this. And it yeah. was where it it was tricky how he how he did it. But overall, it's like I get why it's controversial. I get why people are, are offended by it. And I personally can't say that they're they're wrong for being offended. I, I can't see it that yeah, way. Yeah, so, I can't say yeah. that. And you brought up a good point. Like it's something that we heard a lot growing up on the radio like it, it was everywhere and then we hadn't heard it in so long so yeah for him to use it it just kind of caught people's attention um and it's a it's a narrative he's telling his story so i don't see anything wrong with him going in and out of uh character um you know with the past and the future and or the present i should say because that's just yeah. like something that people do we naturally do that i still do that if i know somebody who's trans especially if i've mm. known them their entire life it's hard yeah. like it's what we grapple with in our own mind anyway he just said it and i like you said i can't get mad at anyone for being offended i can understand why they are offended i'm just not yeah. offended by it and yeah i love what you said about you know just because I said it's okay, you can't now say it's okay. Like, because yeah. I think that's an important thing. People will be like, oh, well, my gay friend said, well, yeah. don't get your ass kicked behind your gay friend. Like, because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't seriously. fight. So, you know, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> but, you're on your own for that Yeah, one. you're yeah. on your own. But um, the project overall, uh, so far, I'm enjoying it. I'm scared to, I'm scared to like say where I would rank it. Yeah, because I, mean, I haven't listened to it enough, and I, I, I just need to like really like take it all in. Um, like the first listen was just, I just want to listen to it before I see on social media what everybody else is saying. So I don't want yeah, their opinion yeah. to cloud mine. And then the second and third listen are like, all right, let me start digesting the album. Yeah, I feel like after hearing it probably four or five times at this point, like I think I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it as like an eight out of ten, where it's a very good, solid project. Yeah, maybe at the best at eight point five, but I'm saying an eight where it's very it's good, which is like better than the average rapper's album. It's it's like for it to be Kendrick's album for him being possibly top five, top ten of all time at this point. Mm-hmm. For him being like top two, three of not number one for this generation, and yeah. for us waiting five years, I feel like it's just not the the heights of what we've seen him do before. And I'm not mad at that. Is this that? That's what it is. Like, like yeah. for me personally, um, like I still don't know if Terrace was talking about him or not. When Terrace was talking about how some of his rap friends don't appreciate him and haven't been paying him and this and that, but mm. he wasn't on the project. He wasn't on the and, album. And like I did ask my folks who were connected to Terrace. I didn't ask him directly. I asked I asked my folks and they didn't confirm or deny it. You're they right. just kind of were like, 
hey, uh, you know, if the shoe fits, but he's not on the project. And regardless of why he's not on there, I miss his presence because my favorite two Kendrick albums are Good Kid and then To Pimp a Butterfly and Terrace is all through there. Whether it's him giving you Gangsta West Coast dark feels or jazz feels or funk, whatever it is, I just miss the musicality of it. So I feel like rap-wise, Kendrick is as good as we've ever heard him, rapping-wise, but production-wise, it's just not as as much enjoyable as as those albums are to me, I would say. Yeah, it's a great album for the average rapper. Um, yeah. For Kendrick, it kind of seems, so far, um, I'm a little underwhelmed, not in his ability, not in any of his rhymes, but just in the project as a whole and like you mentioned the production it's like it's almost like it's missing something but i don't know what it's missing and it could be like somebody like terrace all over the album it could be that but it's missing something to me um and that's just the way i feel now i might listen again next week and i'll be like you know what this is dope i might listen in two weeks and be like nah this ain't this ain't it like we waited five years and this this ain't what we waited for. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I feel like uh, overall, I don't, I don't want it to be a case of us just um, comparing it directly to his previous projects because he is the type of artist that makes every album different. So even that is right. a huge talent because there's some artists who have great projects consecutively, but they sound the same. But right. he's similar to an outcast. Uh, Kanye to an extent too, where yeah. each album sounds so much different that if you just happen to prefer what he had, what he did previously, you you like that one more. But mm-hmm. I can't say that takes away from it. But that's just how I personally feel. So, I mean, it's yeah. So far, it's a good album. Um, yeah. it's definitely the best hip hop album released this year so far. Oh yeah, um, for sure, for sure. And I don't know. It might be at the end of the year. I might be like, yeah, it's the best album of the year, best hip hop album of the year. And I might be yeah. like, uh, it was all right. You know, I think Kendrick could come better. I did hear his yeah. growth though, and I love hearing that. Like when you can hear an artist grow and yeah, see, like sure, listen sure. to them evolve. So I think if you put on, um, even if you put on his last three albums and listen consecutively, you can hear the yeah. growth. Um, and you don't even have to go back all the way to like his first, very first album. You can hear it like album by album now. So he definitely can, yeah. So we'll see how it marinates uh, in a couple of months. We'll, we'll come back and revisit it. So that's mm-hmm. how I see it. So it. Let's, let's go ahead and get into it. So our first segment is called the Rewind Segment. We like to highlight artists from the past who uh, we feel deserve their flowers, whether or not they're still making music. We feel like they had impact in their era and deserve to be uh, recognized. So for this episode, EB, who would you like to pick as your uh, Rewind? I got to go, and it's sad that I'm doing it now, but I got to go with uh, Jewel, um, mm. like the first lady of Death Row. Um, who recently passed. It was beautiful seeing all the tributes that she was getting. But for those who are not familiar, um, she's originally from Chicago. She signed to uh, Death Row in 1992. And she was only there for about four years, but her impact was like really lasting. Um, Everything, you know, I think when we think West Coast rappers, we think people like, I'm sorry, West Coast singers, we think of people like Nate Dogg and yeah. everything that she did laid the blueprint for somebody like Nate Dogg to be the singer on all these hip hop hooks and everything. Uh, her best known single or song was a remake she did of Shirley Brown's Woman <laughs> to Woman. Woman to Woman. Yeah. yeah it, it, which which actually, you know, that was a song from the 70s when she did it in the 90s. Um, so it was like 20 years after we'd heard people do it or sing it. And it was like really dope. It was a nice video for it and everything. It went to number 16 on the uh, Billboard Hot R&B and Hip Hop charts. 
but her voice is on almost everything death row uh especially during that four-year period um like snoop dog nwa bone thugs tupac daz dillinger like Joel was everywhere um some notable songs will be nwa's i'd rather fuck you dr dre's <laughs> let me ride dog pounds what would you do and Man. snoop's who am i which probably is i think my introduction to her was on snoop's who am i like when i really was like who is this person um yeah, yeah. just by hearing you know her singing on the hooks but she was only 53 years old, so, you know, it's kind of crazy how young she was. Um, yeah. um, but rest in peace to her and uh, salute to everybody at uh, Death Row. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, you mentioned What Would You Do? Was that song big out there in Carolina? It back was. In the day? Uh, okay, so I, wasn't, I don't know if it was big or not. I just remember hearing my brother, my older brother playing okay. it. Okay. So I don't yeah. know who else was playing it, but I remember him playing it. I got you. I got you. Yeah. It was huge out here. I played at a wagon last week, and everybody was still hyped to it. So it's Whoa. it's one of those out here. But um, okay, yeah. So with Joel, what's crazy is that I used to always jokingly say that I wish we could have her and uh, Natasha from Bone do a versus because <laughs> they both had that same type of style. But yeah, what I didn't realize until like far later is that so even though for the love of money, that's actually Joel singing on there. Now the thing. The thing about that is that that song was originally from a duo who was with Ruthless back in like 91 called Yomo and Malky. So with that, it was the same exact beat. And if you hear that song, it's crazy because that beat was really ahead of its time because in 91, you didn't hear any beat that sounded like that. But it is still a West Coast type of beat. It's just that it's a lot slower than what we usually made. But Joel sings that same chorus on there. Now, when Bone came in 94, Easy basically said, OK, that, that song was a flop. It didn't go anywhere. He took the beat and kept her vocals on it. But most likely, I'm going to say because she's with Death Row, yeah. he said uh, uh, she didn't get no credit for it. So you don't see her name on the credits because of the fact that Ruthless was not going to give her no credit, I'm sure. But that's Whoa. actually her singing on uh, For the Love of Money. I never you listen to that. it. Yeah, when you listen, it's like that is her on there for sure. Damn. Yeah, she, um, yeah. she actually, like, her career wasn't, like, great. Um, like, she made this great impact, but... She was left out of things, left off of things. And even after she left uh, Death Row, I think there were issues where um, Suge had it so she could never record mm. again. Like she wasn't able wow. to sign another deal with anybody <laughs> else and record. So I'm not sure of yeah. all the details about that. Um, yeah. And there are a couple of interviews um, with her speaking on it um, so people can look it up. But yeah, it, it's kind of sad. Like she put in all this work to be uncredited for a lot of it. And even yeah. after you know she left the label, she wasn't able to do anything else, and it wasn't like she was not talented. She had a nice voice, so yeah, yeah. Because she dropped her her first her first solo album just dropped like maybe a year or two ago. Crazy enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was one of those things where she, you know, she was there from the beginning. <laughs> she put yeah. in work, and it's like her legacy just kind of disappeared. Like people didn't know, like people don't know the name of the singer on these songs. They just think it's some studio singer. Like, Oh, okay. Who is yeah. that? So, somebody um, cousin, somebody cousin, in the yeah, background. somebody cousin, yeah. they called, they called for a favor, but I will say yeah. what I was glad to see was cause I had not seen um, the video for actually, I've not heard woman to woman in probably since like the early two thousands, late nineties yeah, and, or seen the video. So, I did like that people were posting, and I was like, oh, I forgot all about this, because it was actually a really good remake. Yeah, it's crazy. That was uh, Regina King in the video, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is wild. That was, like, that's, yeah. that's so random seeing it now. 
Yeah, because yeah. when I went, when I watched it again, I was like, why is she in the video? Like, was this, <laughs> like, what's going yeah. on? I was like, nah, this wasn't on the soundtrack. So why, why Regina? In the, but hey, yeah, she was there. Super, super random. And um, yeah, I would say my favorite uh, post Death Row song from her is actually on Superfly's album. It was called Baby Boy. And even mm. his album, Post Death Row, got kind of can, but it's a real jazzy kind of gospel type song. So that, that song is fire. So. You definitely got to yeah. check that one out. Yeah, Baby Boy. Baby Boy. Yeah, so she killed that one. So rest in peace to Joelle. Uh, y'all got to watch her interview. She had some interviews a couple couple months ago, too, crazy enough. So, um, yeah. yeah, so for my for my pick for this episode, I'm going to go down south. You went to the West Coast, I'm going to go south. <laughs> Boy, I'm going Trick Daddy. <laughs> we going to Trick Daddy. So I got to salute Mr. Trick. So one thing about Trick is that he's an artist that everybody knows. I don't care where you're from. But I don't think people realize how huge he was, especially in Florida. I would say the South as a whole, but mm-hmm. in Florida, he was something like a god. I was at FAMU during his, like, I would say around his peak. Um, he initially came out uh, the first time most folks probably heard him. They might not even realize it was him on that scarred, on Luke's song, yep. scarred. That's him with that second verse. And he came, of course, being from Miami, he had to be on the bass song. But once he really got into his own style... He had his, his own sound and like if you know how how Miami has a very strong kind of Haitian and along with the Latino presence, but a lot of Haitians, Africans, Caribbeans, you can kind of hear that in his music. So a lot of the music that that he made had that kind of influence to it, just from the the instrumentation to it. So even when you hear his first main single, that's that Nan, of course. Like even though Trina did kind of get him on there, I mean it's perfect. It's a perfect. <laughs> Perfect uh, collab. It's always dope when, when a woman gets gets the guy. The guy goes first, and the woman comes back and kills him. But yeah, I remember hearing that. I remember seeing that video back when I was back in high school and seeing those commercials. And to me, it was just hilarious because at that point, it was where the internet was kind of a new thing. So the fact that he named his album Thug.com, and it's like almost as a joke. Every couple of years, uh, years I'll still go and see if the website's active. But it's now it's it's um it's slip and slides uh main website. So uh, whenever you type in thug.com, it'll basically he still owns it. So he was 23 years, you know, 24 years, you know, ahead of his time because he he still owns the rights to it. But uh Trick Daddy basically had a lot of impact in Florida. Uh, of course he had those huge singles along with Nan, he had Shut Up, which was a straight up band type classic. He had Take It to the House, which was a basketball game classic because of the video. But um, the, the, the biggest song he had in Florida, for sure, especially at FAMU, was called Can't Fuck With The South. And that's one of those songs that people may know a little bit, but that, it don't matter how old you are, it don't matter how old the crowd is at a club, whenever you play it, you have to get hype and hold up, wait one minute, <laughs> and it's like the DJ has to bring it back to the top. If you don't bring it back to the top, they're going to boo you, and it's like... I had no idea what this song was till I got to FAMU because I, I knew who Trick was, but I wasn't into him enough to actually buy his album. But right. when I got there, I realized he was really like a god, and it was where people from Florida would really argue with you and tell you that he was better than Biggie and Pac. And it's like, as crazy as it sounds, and it's like, yeah, anybody else is going to say, okay, y'all sound stupid, but when you understand Florida culture, you understand his impact and why, why he connected with him so much. He was the type that... He did have a wide range of songs. I mean, we know Trick Daddy loved the kids, and he had, you know, uh, Baby, because I'm a thug. And he 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 learned how to have that balance of making songs that were introspective. He had a lot of kind of darker songs. He had the Thugs Holiday with... Um, yeah, Latasha. You know, Latasha was on that one. So he had a wide range of songs. He had the ones that made you think, that made you, you know, you know um, 
really considering, you know, where you were, were at at, uh, at this point in your life. But also he had those club bangers too. So he's still around doing his thing. He had a lot of, go uh, a lot of dope features as well. He was on that uh, Lil John Play No Games all the way up to those DJ Khaled songs. He's on a lot of Khaled's early work. Um, he definitely got off hard on that um, I'm So Hood. Like he started the whole song off with that. And even the way he started that verse off was basically coming from Can't Fuck With The South. So it's where Trick definitely had had a major impact in uh, Florida. And it, he's one of those artists that is almost seen as a joke in a sense because he's a troll, just like Plies. I feel like Florida rappers are just known for being trolls. So whenever you think about Trick now, all you can think about is his comments a couple months ago on whatever interview he was on talking about getting getting this booty uh, licked up or whatever he was talking about. Like, he's one of those who is like, it's like, all right, Trick. But he, Florida, Florida people are nasty too. Like they're, they're known for just being, like it's a sexual culture out there. Yeah, so it's just, very. That probably comes from them having the Caribbean influence, but they are just very open and sexual in their nature. So it's not so that's just not shocking hearing hearing them say that type of stuff. But no, yeah, it's 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 crazy because everybody likes to call themselves the king of the South, and I say yeah. all the time that the South is so diverse in geography that there can't be a king yeah. of the South. Um, that's true. But I will say for Trick, I'll say he's definitely the king of Florida. Uh, yeah, like, there's nobody else. Yeah. I don't think, like, not even Luke. Um, I would say Luke is the Godfather, man. Right? The yeah, yeah. the Godfather. Like, yeah. but Trick is literally like the king of Florida, and um, it's it's almost sad that people see him like as a parody sometimes because it's like, no, nah, but Trick got bars, like he and he's yeah. had them. Like, no matter what you think of him now or his comments and all that other stuff. Like the music has always been good. Um, and he was one of those people that he was a Friday night, I remember now. Friday nights, <laughs> middle school and high school. When you riding out, Trick was probably the first song you played was something by Trick. It didn't matter what it wow. was, but it had to that's how you got your night started when you was going out, you was going to the football game or whatever. You always yeah, got your yeah. night started like that. Um, and I don't remember when I realized it was him on Luke Scarred. I, I, I don't remember it when, it, when I made the. Yeah, me. I don't remember yeah. when I made the connection. But once I did and went back and listened, I was like, oh, it was right there all the time. Like, you yeah. know, he said it right there in the song. But um, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, making the connection years later after he's already got his own solo thing popping, and then yeah. his peak came like in the early two thousands. Like he hit the ground running, and once you know, maybe. By 2005, it probably started to die down a little bit because um, other sounds were coming in. But, yeah, he's one of the most talented people. Um, rappers from the South, period, but definitely um, the king of Florida. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember seeing uh, they had what, what they call the dunks out there, those old school, like the old school Chevys. Yep. I saw one that had his face painted on the side of it. And you drive around the city and see like murals of Trick Daddy painted as if he was... Then oh. this is in his peak, so he was really that big out there. It's crazy. Damn. Yeah. See, I didn't know. I didn't even. I didn't realize yeah. that. But that's that is wild. Like he was still alive, yeah. and this is he's alive. Yeah. Like at his peak, not even like he. You know, twenty years a, later, he's seeing you seeing stuff. But this is like while he's still. That's crazy. Yeah. So he got he got his flowers out there. I said that for sure. So, yeah. Salute to uh to Trick Daddy for sure. Salute. Represent representing that three hundred five. So, uh, to keep it going, we're gonna go with the uh, fast forward segment. So. In this segment, we like to highlight artists who are making waves, who are uh, making impact, whether they're brand brand new to the scene or whether they've been out for a while. We feel like they have potential to get a lot bigger. 
So for this episode, Evie, who would you like to run with? Uh, I got to go with uh, Davion Ferris. Um, oh, okay. uh, People should know okay. who it is. I mean, if you don't, yeah. like, you know his brothers. If you don't know who he is, you know D-Smoke and you know Sir. Um, but he's from Inglewood. Two-time Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and producer. He's worked with everybody. Um, Tyrese, Mary J. Blige, Trey Songs, Genuine, Jill Scott, Jaheem. I didn't realize who he was until um, I watched The Shy on Showtime. And he had a song called Sometimes mm. that was featured. Oh, on the Sometimes. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, it was featured on uh, season four of the show. Um, and I then I had to, you know, well, who is this kid? And I went and looked and I was like, oh, he had two albums that were released in 2017. I knew nothing about. But um, he recently signed with Lena Waif's uh, record label, Hillman Grad Records, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and he's like really neo soul r&b almost like a jazzy type vibe very smooth voice um but he has two new singles or two singles out now uh one is called bad guy and the other is called tunnel vision um i'm excited for what he has to offer just because i don't think we have enough like real singers in the game um and he seems to be a real everything i've heard i love his voice and i also love of course like the way they marry hip hop and R and B now is like perfect, and yeah. he he definitely I mean he's like his brothers he he does it in a way that I feel like people of all ages will appreciate or can listen to um, his music. So shout out to him. Crazy enough, because you probably haven't seen social media lately, but I actually DJ his uh, EP release last night. Oh, see, yeah, no so idea. I was just rolling with him last night. So yeah, he has the um, Move EP that's dropping. Um, by the time that this episode uh, is released, it'll be out already. So, yeah, we Look rocked last night. We had Coco Sarai there as well, performing. She's from Brooklyn. But, yeah. But, yeah, so he, even live, live, he killed it. I would say his vocals were all pure. Like, it yeah. was, it, I would say the music sound even better live because he had a live band rocking with him, too. So, and that's yeah. that's one of those things. Yeah. Like, you know, I appreciate all these artists, but once I see you live, that kind of seals the deal for me, especially if you have a live band. I'm like, all right, I know you're talented enough. Just keep giving us good music. So I, you know, it's just wild that I was making him my fast forward, and you just last yeah. night. That's crazy. Yeah, wild timing with that. So yeah, Davion has um, a new project that's, as y'all are listening, is is out right now called the Move DP. And yeah, I, I feel like what's dope is that between him, D Smoke, and Sir, it's like you can tell they're the same family. They look damn just alike, but they all had their own style. But it's not it's not that far apart. So if you like one, you're gonna like the other two. He right. smoke is the rapper, the other, other two sing, but even with that, it's still, they have that same kind of soulful acoustic style, like, none of them try to chase trends, but it still sounds modern enough, so yep. they have that balance, and the whole family is crazy talented, everybody from the uh, their parents, because the dad was a pastor who sang, and the cousin Ebrion, that's the homie who's a DJ, he yep. breathes, it's just like, they keeping that talent coming over there, so. No, I love it, it's, music yeah. is like coming out of Inglewood and I'm I'm excited like you know yeah. I, I wasn't a West Coast kid I didn't I didn't really listen to a lot of West Coast stuff but I don't think you have to be to really appreciate their music because I mean at least the brothers from what I hear from everything that I've heard from them they're all insanely talented yeah they definitely are so salute to uh, Davion for sure with that uh, for my pick this episode I'm gonna do your usual thing I'm gonna go to London so hey this time I'm gonna go with uh, Deneo Deneo is a rapper coming from He's representing London, and um, he's actually been around for a while. Like he put out his first single really back in the late, late, late nineties, probably ninety nine. But 
he's one of those artists who, I mean, he was probably, he had to be in high school when he dropped that. So he's the type that's been around for a long time, but he's just started to find like a lot more success recently. And I feel like because of the way that America is a, is now accepting of, of artists from London and um, Africa, especially when it comes to uh, the black artists and within hip hop, R&B, Afro beats, anything in that lane, I feel like he's probably going to break out, even though he's been out for a long time, uh, technically, like, especially in America, I would say, because he's only about 37 years old. So he's he's still pretty, pretty young to be to have 20 some years in the game. But I would say his main song that that uh, made some noise a couple years ago is called Chalice. It has the rapper named Belly on that one. And with Chalice, it's one of those tracks that it just has that bounce to it. It has that feel where somewhat of a. Uh, I don't even know what you would call it because it's not really Afro beats, but it has that kind of influence to it. It has that kind of like offbeat, almost reminds you a little bit of a Timbaland type drum pattern from 20 years ago or something. And it has that type of upbeat feel to it. And I just like the energy he has. I feel like everything he puts out has a lot of dope energy. His last actual album was about five years ago called 16, but he's the type who's just been putting out singles the last couple of uh, years. And his last tour called Ride With Me, and he has one called Good Mood. And all of his music just has that... Uh, all those influences of what you know for London. So that's the African influence. That's the drum and bass. That's a little bit of the pop. That's the soul, the hip hop. It's like, you never know what his singles are going to sound like till you hear it. Mm. Each song he, he drops has a different feel to it, but they all just have a good upbeat energy to it. And I feel like all it's going to take is for him to get one more single that can break through America and he'll be over here touring the same way. So I'm definitely looking forward to what he has in store. Yeah, I love... Um... I mean, you already know anything coming out of London I'm in love with. And I think about it all the time. Like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they get the influence. They got the Caribbean influence. They got the Nigerian yeah. influence. And then they got their own thing in the UK. And they just marry all of those with the <laughs> influence of America's music. You know, R&B, hip hop, pop. And I'm never not astounded, like, by the talent that these people possess and why it's taking us so long to catch on like why yeah, it's like it's, it's good music out here what are we doing like what what are yeah. we doing we always behind on it so i mean i feel like i mean the, the funny thing is i know these is from Deezus and Mero. it yeah. might have been 10 12 years ago but somebody was uh putting putting us up on some uk rappers who were dope at the time but uk rap was not even close to as big as it is now, at least for the States. And he said something like, the thing about UK rappers, it don't matter how many bars they got, how dope they are, it sounds like Jeffrey from Fresh Prince rapping. So it's just hard <laughs> for us to take it serious. And it's like, he's a troll, so he's going to say something crazy anyway. But it's like, I feel like it is kind of crazy then, because yeah. Americans, we do associate a British accent with wealth. It just yeah. sounds like wealth to us. And it's where, if you're from London, you realize that there's different types of accents that that they probably have more of a hood accent versus how somebody who's the actual part of the, the Royal Palace sounds or somebody right. who's the, the upper echelon there. But to us, it all British just sounds British to us. It so it's kind British. of, it's just, it takes a while for us to get used to hearing it. But I feel like once you really start listening to it and getting used to it, they have some dope artists out there and that, a lot of them do have bars and they have a crazy sense of humor too. Like, a lot of stuff that I hear from them, like even even when they had that "Man's Not Hot" song, like a lot of it has that same type of like silly sense of humor, but it's it's hilarious to me though. Yeah, no, they're silly and they they it's like a almost like a dark, twisted sense of humor at times. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of like don't you like do I laugh? Like is that okay? Yeah. Like what's like what was that? But that's just the that's just yeah. the culture there. Um, they are very innovative. I will say that. Um, like they keep going. Like you say, he's been in the game for almost like twenty years or something. 
Yeah, a little bit over, over 20, 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, over 20 is like, you know, they just keep going and they keep pushing. So I'm hoping that he finds uh, another, just one more album, like you said, to really solidify him and let him break through um, internationally and not, you know, just be in the UK. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. So salute to, uh, to Deneo, of course. So at this time, we're going to take a quick break. Um, when we get back, we have a special guest uh, who's going to be uh, helping us kind of curate something that, that I came up with uh, came up with as a concept. Anybody who loves 70s music, just stay tuned. We got something for y'all coming up. And of course, we'll be finishing off with uh, our infamous beat match. This one here might... Might have some of y'all mad. Some of y'all are going to pick sides immediately. Either way. They mad every gotta, week. Yeah, they, they always going to be mad. That's, that's the culture of what we do. You know, that's how it goes. So yeah. either way, we'll see y'all in a second. We'll be right back. So we are back. This is Behind the Wheels podcast. You rocking with DJ Artistic and EB. So it's time for the drop. So uh, this episode of the drop, we have a special guest who is a very, very dope, talented guitar player, writer, producer, representing Pasadena. So you know that's West Coast still. He's rigging and produced for Chris Brown, of course, Tweet, Jamie Foxx, Ty, Kelly, Mary Mary, sir. I can keep on going, but he has his own music coming out as well. So... I want to introduce you all to my boy, Charlie Burrell. What's good? What's up? What's up? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, man. How, how, you, how you been doing? Man, I've been doing good, man. Staying safe. Uh, trying to stay healthy from this COVID stuff was crazy. Yeah. Man, yeah. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a, um, got a three-year-old, so I, I guess you can say I'm still a new father. And, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 So, man, energy's energy. good over here, man. That's what it's about. So, definitely uh, thankful to have you on today. So, Today we're gonna have something. Just uh, we're gonna have some fun with it. So for this episode, I know that all three of us love seventies music. Uh, I would say it's the best uh, decade for R and B, soul, especially funk, all that. So yeah, yeah. What are we gonna do? Uh, each of us are just gonna give our top ten favorite songs from the seventies. I know it's gonna be hard because it's like how <laughs> we pick just ten. I know we could probably do ten per year, but it's like if you had to just pick ten and. You can you can explain each one. You can even mention one that you almost picked, or however you want to chop it up. Um, or however you want to uh, run with it. And I, I'm I'm actually curious to see how much overlap we are gonna have because that means it could be 30 songs or it could be 12 because we we could <laughs> right, pick the same. Right, but, right. but I feel like it's, I'm guessing it's gonna be about 35, 38 because I think we'll probably have a couple overlap. But overall, I know we have our own taste with everything too. We listen for different things. So as our guest this episode, Charlie. Um, Go ahead. Uh, if you can, I know it's going to be hard. You might have to think a little bit, but if you can give 10 of your favorites or whatever, maybe a couple lines explaining what led you to picking each one. Okay. You know? I'm going to try yeah. to go off the top of the head. Um, okay. So I know this kind of changed me and started getting me into 70s music. So I got to put like Save the Children from Marvin Gaye. But this okay. is no order. I'm going to just. Yeah, no order. Yeah, no order as well. Okay. I'm going to mention um, that too. Yeah. Remember that. So Curtis Mayfield, think. Um, think okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Think. Um, 
Sly and the Family Stone, Family Affair. Yeah. And like I said, Sly. these these things like this is my ten today, but it might not be my ten yeah. tomorrow because it's so <laughs> much. It. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so much good music in the seventies. Okay, so that's three. Um, I want to say uh, Strawberry Letter, Shuggy Otis, mm. and Brothers Johnson. So I'll just count that as one since mm. I yeah. like both of them. The remake, um, yeah. Um, I want to say um, stylistics. Um, bet you by golly, why? Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That's just I'm gonna stay in that lane. I'll say. Uh, now I'm gonna go with uh, Atlantis, Isley Brothers, Knee Deep, Parliament. Knee Deep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Payback, James Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And uh. uh What's the song? Um, what could it be? I'm falling in. Not that song, but oh, the other one they did. The Spinners. Um, I'll be around. Yeah. I'll be around. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 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 I'm gonna go. Man. I would go. With, I'll go with that ten right now. But that, it changes for me. I definitely get that. So just from uh, hearing that, it, it sounds like you just love that straight soul. The ones that have. That good vibe that aren't like all necessarily party party mm. records every single time, but just yeah. melodic. They all had that structure. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I picked those because those are like the ones that like I was stuck on as a creator to help me. Mm. Like it helped me in my journey in music. Kind of helped me steer me away from like what I was doing, and it kind of gave me a, a map because. I grew up listening, well, I started off listening to church music, but when I started listening to other music other than mm. church, I used to think like, you know, Ice Cube, Today Was a Good Day. I thought they made that beat, or I would think- um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get it. You know, I would think the hip hop dudes made those, those made those beats. So listening to the old 70s music gave me a map, like, okay, I'm going straight to the source on how they did it. So I was stuck on a lot of yeah. those records, like Family Affair and Think and- Save the children. I was just studying it. Like, how did they play the bass? How did they play the guitar like that? How are they singing like that? How did they mix it like that? So that's how, mm. you know, I came on that list. I would say, so for you being a producer, writer, um, do you feel like, of course, we all feel that the settings was the best. Do you feel like music actually declined once we got to the 80s? Or do you, do you think it evolved? Or was it both? Like, we always try to figure it out because me and EB feel that, the 80s still had a lot of great music. We feel like the 80s are actually underrated. It's just not that it, it was just wasn't as good as the no. 70s, but how do you yeah, I, how do you how do you feel, feel about that? I feel strongly about that. I I really yeah. a friend of mine was talking to me about that and I I I feel like it was a conspiracy. I feel like they mm. I think I think somebody on the inside stopped it because it was too good. Like they when 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 yeah. black people it was almost like the like when when black people have something that's so good, it's always the enemy coming in and try to destroy it and tear it down. Mm. And I think that's what happened. Like I honestly feel like it was a it, it had to be something like that because like it seemed like everybody got separated from their producers, groups got separated, and then they started like mm. like getting all the people to produce for like pop acts, and they tried to introduce pop and disco, oh, wow. and then. 
and remove all the instruments because it probably was like the budgets were too high. It's so many reasons. It's so many things that I think why that happened that I don't know. I'm just allegedly just, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I feel like it yeah. definitely was a big drop off. It's like the way it was recorded to, yeah. to everything. It's just, they gave up on it, you know, kind of how, like I feel yeah. like they did to the R and B, Going into the 2000s, it's like they got rid of the Carl Thomas, the brands, the tweets. It's like, it's like, let's snip all of this and do pop. And I think that happened in the 70s. Make it pop. That's crazy, yeah, because I feel like just from listening to how it sounds like a lot of stuff from 80, 81, 82 sounds like it's the 70s. It still had that acoustic sound. There was a lot of live instrumentation. By the time you got 84, 85, it was a lot more synthesizers and it was where... It was where I assumed, okay, maybe it's because it is, as you said, budgets were a big part. So it's probably a lot cheaper versus having to hire a whole band of studio mm-hmm. musicians, get that one producer who has uh, the, the drum machine. He can make everything with just one person. So yep. I feel like that that took away. And it's it's tricky because it's where even in that synthy 80s era, it still was a lot of dope music that was created mm-hmm. because you could tell they still had talent. But to me, it's just not as rich nope. for the most part. Yeah, like even the best stuff and... I love New Jack Swing for the energy it had, and it still had some uh, musicality to it, but it still was not touching what we heard nah. in the 70s, musically. Yep. Yeah. That's how I see it. So, all right, well, appreciate your top 10. So, EB, let's see uh, what you got for yours. Man, I'm still <laughs> over 10, but I'm going to condense it to 10 right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. First one I got is Gladys Knight and the Pips, on and on. Um I had to include one Curtis Mayfield produce something or saying something, yeah. and that's probably my favorite. I got okay. the Ohio Players, Time Slips Away. I got Billy hmm. Paul, Let the Dollar Circulate. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Al Green. Billy Paul. Yeah. Al Green, Look What You Done ah, For Me. Oh, man. I forgot about uh, Al. Yeah. I had to pick yeah. an Ashford and Simpson song, and the, the one that comes to mind is a song called Somebody Told a Lie. Um mm. It's like the musicality mm-hmm. on that song is insane, especially when it gets to like the bridge. It's crazy. Uh, I got Rose Royce, Ooh Boy. Um, mm-hmm. okay. And it's yeah. like Norman Whitfield. He's known for like these really big orchestrations and like these long intros. But that one has like a short, sweet intro. And then Gwen Dickey's voice is like floating all over the whole track. I got The Emotions, Flowers. Mm-hmm. That's like the one I wanted to pick. I got uh, I, Isaac Hayes, Ike's Mood, uh, part one. Ike's Mood, wow, okay. Um, and then yeah. if I had to choose one more, uh, Dr. Buzzard's original Savannah Pan, uh, Sunflower. Um, that's my top 10. And then I got like two bonus ones I got to throw them in there because they're not by black artists, but I love them. It's uh, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Mm. And okay, surprisingly okay. enough, Bette Midler um, has a song called Do You Want to Dance? Y'all don't sleep on Bette Midler. Like, it was some soul in that record. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on in the studio, but <laughs> it's some soul in that record. So, and mm-hmm. it's, it's probably one of my most listened to songs. I'm like, all right, it's not the Bette Midler from Hocus Pocus. You know, it's, it's a whole, yeah, different, it's a whole yeah. different ball game. But yeah, those that's that's a top 10 and two bonuses. Uh, Bette probably don't. had her boyfriend with a Cadillac when that came out. <laughs> yeah, you know she did. Yeah, so, <laughs> she had something different going on at that point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, come on, baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call you Betty. Like, There's probably something going on like that. So I'm already knowing. she. There was something going on at that time. So. Man. Okay, okay. She was talking so, to a dude named Cecil. 
<laughs> he was an assistant deacon or something at the, at the Baptist. So it had to be something going on at that, at that point. So yeah, so that top ten definitely uh, nothing too surprising with that. So um, for my ten, I would say mine is partially DJ influence. I feel like a lot of times songs get elevated just by seeing crowd response, or also seeing how how they get sampled in in uh, recent generations, but. For my 10, of course, it was difficult, but I'm going to roll with these. I'm going to say, um, starting off, uh, not in order, but I do have a top three. I'll say that. I have 10, but a top three that I'll say is just like my top three, period. So I'm going to say, starting off, Teddy Pendergrass, that closed the door. Mm. One of my favorites, just the way that it builds up, mm-hmm. the way he started screaming to it. And even just seeing that live, um, it's always funny whenever it goes uh, viral on Twitter, they say that, if you put it on mute, it looks like he's a comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way yeah, yeah, yeah. he kind of like talking <laughs> to the crowd. No yeah. emotions. Yeah. yeah, no emotions. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, like just seeing that one is hilarious. So that closes the door, just the way it builds up and the way that, that uh, the second time it comes back around, I, I waited all night long. Like, uh, that's one of my favorite things about 70s songs. It's just about, like, your first time hearing the 70s song is crazy because you don't, you don't know where it's going. Right. Mm-hmm. You're already loving it, and then they take the same part and redo it and, and add extras to it. So uh, that's one of the best things about that era. Uh, my second one, I would say, Minnie Ripperton, uh, Memory Lane. Mm-hmm. That's one of those songs that just, like, as a kid, I didn't really listen to the lyrics that much. I just knew Back Down Memory right. Lane. So I remember mm-hmm. I didn't really catch the lyrics until I was doing a – a reunion maybe 12, 13 years ago. I was DJing a family reunion and they were asking for songs to, to use for like, for you know, for like their uh, slideshow for, for whatever it was about going back down in history. So one of the aunties was like, we should use that mini Ripperton back down memory lane. And I was like, all right. But I started playing it. I'm hearing the lyrics. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think this is a song <laughs> I want to use. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, the chorus fits, but we hear what she's talking about, what she, what she misses, who she misses. It's not going to work. Mm. But Everything about that build up up to that high note that we all try to imitate mm-hmm. and nobody could ever ever hit it. Nope. It's probably ten singers alive <laughs> in our life who who, who could reach that note. So that's definitely my number, uh my second one I'm gonna mention. My next one, I gotta go at least one mic. I'm gonna go mic, don't stop till you get enough. Mm. Big as that song is, as much as it's a commercially known hit, it's still one of his that it was probably the last time that that's what I'm saying, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, it's like I would say, of course, I wasn't there in the 70s, but it feels like that was the last era of Mike that that was really made more for black folks. It feels mm-hmm. like once he got the thriller, he yep. got so big that black folks still loved him, but it wasn't the same exact feeling as what you got with Off the Wall. And most folks who I know pick Off the Wall or thriller, uh, over Thriller anyway, but out of everything on Off the Wall, it's hard to pick one, but if I had to go with one, I'm still going to go with that one. And of course, my favorite reference with that is definitely that um, Rush Hour 2. <laughs> and uh, Chris Tucker sing that one with Jackie Chan trying mm-hmm. to get to him. So uh, that's one one of my favorites. For some reason, like I would say at FAMU, they were playing Michael Jackson way before he died. Like nobody in LA was playing him at parties for like a college crowd. But this song was huge at FAMU when it came to like they, they have a little skating type set, like the whole um, act like you got on some skates. So they were kind of like fake roller skating the club to it. Yeah, that's tight. Doing some little slides. So yeah, so had to ride with that one. Uh, my next one. Uh, gotta go uh, with the original, the biggest hip hop song, uh, at least the first big hip hop song. I'm gonna say, "Rappers Delight." So mm, mm. I'm gonna roll "Rappers okay. Delight" because, um, crazy enough, somebody asked for it. A young Australian white girl asked for it last week at the club when I was DJing. And wow! It shows for a song from 1979 to still get requested in 
2002 by somebody who's not even American, who wasn't born to the 90s, probably. Like, yeah. that song is just one of those that I'm not sure if the kids know it as much as we did, because they, they still play it on radio for our generation. And, of course, they had the Def Squad remake back in 96, 97 from that In the Beginning album. But it's one of those songs that's 15 minutes, but I think most of us can sing the whole thing word for word. Mm-hmm. So definitely got to roll with that. Of course, honorable mission with that would be Good Times, because it came from Good Times. But as far as it's the importance, I feel like Rapper's Delight was the first rap hit. So yeah, got to... Uh, yeah, gotta rap that one. My next one, I'm gonna go to the mountains of Caucasus for this one. Um, Mr. Bobby Caldwell. So that uh, what you wanna do for love? Gotta rock with that one. Okay. It's hilarious because I didn't realize how many people didn't know he was uh, white until social media. <laughs> right. I guess for I mean, in a sense, I guess I kind of count because I always thought it was um, who did I think it was um, maybe was it Bill Withers? I thought it was or somebody else. It was somebody from that era who I, I thought it was. Good the whole time. I can hear that. Fire too. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those songs that so when I, I learned it was Bobby Caldwell and I Googled him. I don't remember being shocked that he was white, but I, I just didn't know that he was white. So I guess I count the same way, but that's one of those I have to I have to put that but on. That's the list. so great so, about the seventies, yeah. bro. White and black was funky. Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Even the ones who came from the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. They, they didn't even have to be American. I feel like like white mm-hmm. white folks. We had the average white band and uh, uh, Wild Cherry Autumn just made music that we didn't care who made it. It was it had that funk to it. It was a oh, time that it was uh, people were like throwing up the peace sign. They were getting introduced to the psychedelics. So a lot of like Martin yeah. Luther King and I think Martin Luther King and Malcolm X death and everything kind of opened people's hearts to make music together. Like around mm. that time. That's I think that's why yeah. the music was so good as well. I ain't mean to cut you off, but I had yeah. to throw that in there. No, you no no definitely yeah. no, I definitely agree. I feel like the seventies, like looking back, of course there was not, there was still racial tension, obviously, but coming from the, those crazy sixties where it was just so tense, the seventies is like that was the first hint that we saw of okay, uh, it was desegregation. It was where okay, black folks, white folks, it's still gonna be some clashing, but mm-hmm. You did you did see a lot more unity than you saw in previous uh, yeah. decades for sure. Yeah. So that is that is a fact. So uh, I got five left. So I had to go Al Green, just like uh, Charlie said. So Al Green, I'm gonna go Love and Happiness. Mm. Uh, Love and Happiness yeah. is just that. Wow, I forgot. How did I one. forget about that one? I mean, I, I wanted to go. Let's, <laughs> I wanted to go. Let's stay together. But I, I mean, f- Love and Happiness is. Is there some too? Is it about that what intro. time? Three, three o'clock in the morning. It was just, <laughs> it is one of those, one of those ones. So uh, next up, I gotta go Aretha for one. I'm gonna go rock steady out of everything because Good that's one. the D, that's the DJ me talking because she has so many soulful, the ballads and all that. But I just think rock steady is just my favorite. That's one of the only songs from like the early early seventies that I play at parties, mm. especially mm. if it's if it's a little bit of an older crowd, but. Like the older folks, the aunties will put you on the little rock steady dance. I'm like, okay, y'all had some little dances going on with the song back then. But mm-hmm. it's just one of my favorite. The breakdown is his drums. Just funky. Like the whole thing. Yeah. Funk to it. Yeah. Funk soul. Yeah, it really is. And that breakdown, rock. Yeah. The drum beat going behind it. So that's one of my favorite little uh, drum beats. So as far as my top three, so I'm going to say my top three. I'm going to say James Brown, The Payback. Yeah. Gotta go payback just because that bass line, just everything about it, all of the hooting and hollering that he was doing on there. Um, I remember playing that at a bar one time, and you know, it's an eight minute song. I played about six minutes of it. That's a long mm-hmm. time That's for one long. song in the club. So I switched the song. 
some old white guy looked at me. He was so serious. He said, hey, why you cut that off? I'm like, I mean, I played it for six minutes. Nah, you got to play it from the start again. You got to play yeah. it from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. He was really, he was angry yeah. at me. I'm like, look, I, I, I played six minutes. He was waiting for that last scream and you cut it off. Yeah. yeah. He wanted every single scream on there. Every time he, he asked every scream. you notice, every time he asked for them hits and they yeah. gave it to him, he lost. He got them hits every time. He yeah. He wanted, he wanted all of them. Yeah. So it was like, I'm <laughs> like, hits. my bad, bro. <laughs> another one like he needed all the hits he could get so it's like I had to go payback I wanted to go um do it to death aka funky good time that's probably like that's yeah, right that's, next to it right yeah. behind it but yeah that that funk uh, I probably like that better as a party song I would say but I'm gonna roll I'm gonna roll payback of course uh, my other two I'm gonna say my personal, personal favorite, favorite is probably Earth, Wind, and Fire. Loves Holiday. Mm, forgot about Earth. When that comes in, yeah, yeah, just everything about. Whenever I play it at a wagon, as soon as that beat comes in, everybody starts singing along to it, and the way it, the way it builds up, the mm-hmm. way the second verse is done, the way it, it concludes, that crescendo is just everything about that song is just perfect to me. I feel like that has to be my favorite '70s song. I would say that along with Yearning from Gap Band, probably like. Top two, top three favorite songs of all time for me. I would say that. And yeah, then that's neck and neck. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they right there. I'll say so my number number one overall, I'm gonna have to go knee deep. That funkadelic. I feel like knee deep is yeah. just that one. That's that's 15 minutes of everything. 15 minutes of funk and just that bass line, just everything to it. Just just the drums, the way that the song starts, the breakdowns. All the way the, to the end too. You know that's uh, whole song, you know that's yeah. what's the name from the spinners at the end. Yeah, Philippe Wynn. Wynn. That's Philippe him Wynn. singing. Oh, the I ass in the pants and the need to dance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay, okay. Yeah, like I think Knee Deep is just that everything about it, even how influential it was to the West Coast, because you wouldn't have a battle catch, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have any, any of the Snoop and Dre songs yeah. without that. I just think Knee Deep is just that one, and it's crazy that it was made in what 1975, I think 75, 76. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like that that baseline. Like they're using synths, and it's it's wild that the '80s used so many synths, but the '80s can sound more dated as a whole. Right, but that to be '70s, but the way they use those synths, they still sound so modern Man, and fresh. Like to today, we tr- we trying yeah. to get our stuff to sound like that and failing miserably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, I don't know what it's like. I I don't encourage drug use, but if you're gonna do some drugs, make sure it, yeah, it's right. gonna lead to you making something like right. that. I mean, the it's the psychedelics. And the fact the that had them hitting with that, yeah, playing that mm. the whole time too. That's true. It's probably a lot of drumming the whole. Yeah, probably are they? Regardless yeah. of Oof. even if it's just a loop, like he played, did that? Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. It did. It definitely did that. So it looks like for, between the thirty, we only had maybe what three or four songs that, that were uh, picked the yeah. same, huh? Yeah, if that maybe just two. I gotta yeah, get so. y'all playlist, man. Yeah, I think uh, we, what we gonna do for everybody who's tuned in, we are gonna make a playlist for all those songs. Oh, dope, so, dope. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we gonna yeah. have that for everybody to listen to. So of course, our producer probably just heard that. Melissa's probably like, I, I gotta do what? <laughs> we appreciate we appreciate you, Thank Melissa. You. We love you so much, and we <laughs> we cherish you for everything that you. Every single ounce of work that you put in, but no, we we appreciate that. But um, no, Charlie, we appreciate you for being here. Uh, before we head out, so just to talk to you for a quick second, so let us know what you're working on. So for people who are not familiar, you you've been doing music for so long, you've been doing your thing, and you have solo music yep. along with the music that you produce for others. So 
Uh, let me know what's going on right See, now. I could talk about the past, but you know that's a long story. You already said that what I did in the past, but now to currently today, uh, I just finished BJ Chicago Kids album that's coming out. He got uh, oh okay, yeah, okay. He got a lot of music coming out. That's my folks. Then uh, I've been doing some stuff with uh, uh, Jerris Mosey. Um, oh, that's my boy J Mo. Yeah, yeah, I got some more music coming out yeah. with Tweet. Um, I got some other stuff that's brewing, but it, I'm not going to talk about it until it's finalized. But far as um, yeah. me, I've been doing man. I I've been on my seventies seventies mm-hmm. tip, man. So I got a lot of like seventy sound music coming out that I'm working on. We looking to drop next yeah. year. Um. Oh yeah, and I also been working with Rafael Sadiq. Shout out to him as well. Oh wow! And uh, I'm trying to hear everything. Working yeah. with a group. Oh yes, yeah, another group called the Indications. I've been working with um, Duran yeah, Jones those, and Indications. Yep. Yeah, man, they are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sir. So you already Talented. know the sound of the yeah, yeah so. the '70s soul. Yeah, it's a crazy man. story how we end up meeting. Like, because I've been putting out songs. Uh, periodically for the past five years, and they heard one of my songs on Spotify, and we end up meeting. Oh, so wow. Wow. they worked on the BJ new BJ album with me too. So yeah, so it's Word. it's we giving yeah. BJ that that sound. So yeah, yeah, we need that. So, we need that. Um, and then man, I I appreciate uh Anderson Pack too. I I know this is going somewhere else, but I'm just glad that somebody, him and Bruno Mars, and their status to kind of like do 70s style music so it can kind of like yeah open up people to be receptive to this to what right is the realest music in the world i don't know why <laughs> they hear it every day yeah. in commercials and driving by on the bus stops and the mall. All the they time. just don't they even know it, it. Yeah. like so shout out to them yeah. yeah so that's what i've been working on man i've been working in in my little room right here this is where i be sometimes but then other studios um I'm going to be working in United Studios where they just did uh, Kendrick Lamar's uh, album that he just dropped. So I got a lot of, I'm yeah. picking up a lot of steam with a lot of dope people that's just in, in that's just helping. And um, and I, it's a movement that's going around. And um, so that's what I've been doing, man. I'm really excited about it too. I'm definitely rocking with that. So when, when it comes to, when you're making 70s type music in this era, do you feel like, Cause what, I, what I've noticed is that even going back to neo soul, which a lot of folks hate, we always talk about people hate the term neo soul. But either way, it feels like, like even though the neo soul early two thousands, late nineties era had a lot of seventies influence, do you feel like like this current era of kind of a rehash, a re redone seventies type sound um, is different in, in, in any sense? Because I feel like one thing I'm realizing is it's the small intricate stuff that I'm liking. Like even on Six mm-hmm. Sonic. I peeped how on like flyers, I mean, they had like an 808 in there a little oh, bit. Yeah. So when it comes to like the production of it, when it comes to like, uh, it feels like even though it's a 70s bass, it's still a lot of creative stuff that y'all are doing with it that's making it modern. Yeah. So as far as your style, how do you how do you say that, that you're making it kind of your own thing too? Because I already know how you're doing it with that. You you already putting your own twist to it, so it's not like a direct derivative of what what we've heard. Yeah, I mean for me, um, I don't know. That's hard to say because. I, I like I like how people are being creative with it. I'm still like 
I'm in, I'm flushing. I I think my main concern is to to like record it. I think when you record it right when the, when the recordings, I think that's yeah. the biggest part about the seventies is just how it was recorded. And mm-hmm. when I get uh-huh. the recordings right to where I like it, I don't know that that remains to be seen. I don't think I want to add anything yeah. modern. I, I want to keep it all. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to. I don't want to like try to be the seventies. I just want to record the right way, and I think what's going to come out is just what yeah. it's going to be. Like I don't. Yeah. I yeah. think I'm, it's still going to be twenty twenty, but the the if the recording's right, it'll just maintain the integrity of music because I, I I feel like music musicians in all their instruments and in the singers. I think when they were recorded right, it just come people just may make they they may just think it's from the seventies, but I think it just has to be recorded right. So that's all I'm really going for is just getting that sonic, the sonics right. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I know with uh, some of the new music that, that you're going to hear come out, uh, it's just pure, man. It's not really, it's not really like reinventing yeah. the wheel, man. It's just pure. Yeah. I'm definitely trying to hear that because I would say for BJ, um, I've actually DJed for him a couple times, and my favorite project from him is probably still the first one I ever heard, the uh, Pineapple Now Later. Yeah. You know, like, um, cause a lot of what he did on there was the '70s type sound, and like it's where I understand one thing that I can say is that I understand that a lot of times with artists they have to make a modern enough sound to appeal. But the last few years I've seen a lot of a lot of soulful acoustic type music that had live instruments become hits and I feel like that sound is really Bro, I, didn't, like, I was trying yeah. to be <laughs> yeah, I, I need it I need I it. was trying yeah. to be like politically yeah. correct but I don't care for the new <laughs> stuff really yeah. like that I just really don't like yeah. I, I I like yeah. not like people's music I'm just saying I don't I don't care to like cater to like something that doesn't exist I don't I don't think you should go yeah. in go into doing music trying to like control it you can't control music just make it like I hate that term, yeah, like young school, old school. I just think, uh, like uh, matter of fact, I was talking. I was on doing a gig with Raphael Sadiq, and him and Rob Beck was talking, and they said a uh, a statement like, "You either been to school or if you haven't. Like if you've been to school or not, it ain't an old wow. school, new school thing. It's like, wow, it's just wow. do it. Like do the music. If it's done right, it's don't yeah. gotta worry about that part. Yeah, I definitely roll with that, and I feel like because one thing about it is that. We all we all mid thirties, I think. So it's like we at that age where we grew up hearing the late eighties and nineties, like as it was brand new to us, especially nineties, two thousand. That was our actual era. But then we grew up here when our parents played. So we have our ears are made a certain way that when we hear new music, a lot of times we get accused of, oh y'all just old or y'all are stuck in the past. Yeah. And it's like no, because there's new music that can still be mm-hmm. dope. And we always shout out new artists that. Whether it sounds throwback or not, some of it does sound extremely modern and it's still dope. But it's this it's certain elements that the, the past specialized in to me. And it's like to me, if you're making modern music, you can make it modern, but if it doesn't have any elements of what appeals right, to us, it's not gonna it hit is. us. So right. like for me, it's about those bridges, it's about those chord changes, it's about just yeah. a, a certain type of instrumentation, certain bass lines. If it's a party song, it's just like cause the thing is, I like I still, as much as rap and R and B soul have been married. I still like them for separate reasons. So yep. I can enjoy a rap song because it's got trap right. drums or just the Neptunes type of, or even the jerk and mustard type of basic drum beat. 
But for R and B, I pr- I prefer that to have more musicality yeah, to it yeah. a lot of times. I'm with so. you on that, man. I'm yeah. definitely with you. And then even yeah. with hip hop, like think about like real like legendary hip hop that we love. And I'ma just throw in like let's yeah. just say most people consider Jay Z the best rapper alive. If you really, really pay attention yeah, to Jay Z, sure. he's just rapping over seventies music. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean Blueprint, that's our favorite album for the most part. Blueprint and Reasonable Doubt. That's all <laughs> seventy samples. Like... Yeah. You're right. <laughs> That proves yeah. it right he, there. He, yeah. They're not even really doing much yeah. chopping. He's just rapping over it. What it was? Straight loops. It, it wasn't <laughs> even. It wasn't even like no like no DJ Premier type of uh, chops. It was just Kanye yeah. and just loops. So you're right about it. So no, I appreciate you for coming through for uh, for sure. So uh, let everybody know where to find you at on oh, social media. Oh yeah, you media. can find me at Charlie Burrell on Instagram, Charlie Burrell Spotify, Charlie Burrell YouTube, Charlie Burrell Facebook, uh, Charlie Burrell everything. It's Charlie B E. R E A L. And uh Charlie, I spell with a I E. C H A R L I E. Charlie be real. So remember that. That's yep. it. Be real. All day, all day. I appreciate you. And I'm trying to hear everything that you've been working on. So definitely uh whenever you oh, got yeah. anything, if you even want me to test, be a be a Man. test listener for it, just hit me up. Go I'm, listen I'm to that eleven 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 yeah. album that I got out on Spotify and then and and I, okay. I got followed by like three singles after that, and it's it's like basically seventies yeah. music. And I kind of want to explain the album because all we all I did was record with a bunch of legendary musicians for like hours, and we took the best parts of it. Yeah. So I have oh, to explain wow. that so wow. people can be like, "Why is it like this so long, or why is it?" But man, it's it's one of them ones, man. It's not mm. it's not even just my album. It's J Mo's album, uh, Jerry's oh, wow. movie. J Mo become J Mo. It's it's Dre Memo, Harris yeah, from yeah. uh that did all of the uh, music soul child like all that neo soul stuff butterfly is his mm-hmm. album as well Raphael Sadiq is on it uh a couple of other guys Day Day Eric Ingram Craig Brockman we all on there just jamming and I'm just singing oh Day 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 on, Daddy the, drums? on the drums on some records yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Patrick yep. okay so it's, okay. it's I need, gotta I check need, that out I need all parts so all right we. We're going to stay tuned uh, in tune with you. Everybody who's listening right now, make sure you follow Charlie and listen to everything he has in store. So we appreciate you uh, appreciate yeah, for you sure, man. I'm glad. glad y'all called me. Definitely. All right. So we appreciate Charlie for being on. So speaking of uh, everything that we talked about with Charlie, he was talking about, about a lot of 70s music and about Anderson Pack, Bruno Mars having uh, Silk Sonic and kind of bringing that 70s music back to light. And that gave me an idea for this uh, current beat match. This one here. It's probably one of the few that was not too hard for me and EB to figure out what side we would, we would ride with. So um, looking at Silk Sonic, that's the duo, of course, that we just mentioned. And I feel like they came together at a point that a lot of us were kind of surprised that they actually made a single, let alone a whole album, because they had two totally different fan bases, two different styles, and kind of focused on different eras as a whole. But, but with that, um, I would say that most people do agree that Anderson's best album is that uh, Malibu album, and that Bruno's best album is definitely that uh, 24 Karat Magic. So, with that, EB, um, if you had to pick, I already know, but out of these two, which one would you pick if you had to pick them in a uh, B match? I'm not even gonna lie. Um, I haven't even heard one of these albums. Um, oh, you tripping. Yeah, which is like, I. <laughs> no interest in it at all but uh wow. which, which is why this is gonna be hard because i haven't heard the album but um interesting the one that i have heard i'm gonna ride with and that's um malibu all the way okay okay yeah. and i mean the thing is i've 
I definitely love both albums. It's where I listen to both a whole lot. They actually came out the same year, huh? Just same. One yeah. was early 2016, one was late 2016. Yep. And I would say both of these albums are the ones that got me into the artists for different reasons, but I'm gonna give the edge to 24 Karat Magic. It could be the DJ in me, it could be the New Jack Swing Lover in me, whatever it could be. But either way, um, I'm gonna roll with that one. So either, you know, regardless of what you all, uh, you know, of, of what we pick, we're gonna have our producers uh, make the final decision. So we're gonna have our producer, Melissa and the lady, uh, give their votes uh, after me and EB go back and forth. We have three minutes for our main argument. And we have one rebuttal for a minute and a closing argument. And with that, we'll let our producer, our producers decide, you know, who they think came out on top of the argument. So EB is my co-host. Go ahead and let us know. Why would you pick Malibu over an album that you haven't heard before? You know, <laughs> um, the simple thing is it it's not gimmicky. Um, it's much more personal, personable and relatable. Um in the same vein of like Mary's My Life or Usher's Confessions, D'Angelo's Voodoo, uh, Erica's Mama's Gun or Solange's A Seat at the Table is deeply introspective. And because of that, we get a like a really clear picture of who Anderson is as an artist. Um, he's exploring like sounds um, like R&B from the 60s and 70s, lots of soul, but there's also progressive R&B and elements of dance, hip hop, electronic music. I think that in terms of authenticity, um, I don't think it gets more authentic than w that album um, that he put out. Um, I personally think it's his best album to date. Um, I'm sure he's got more heat for us, but I'm, I think that's his best album. There's this organic feeling when you're listening to it and you're going from song to song and um, he's really reflecting on the things that are happening in his life and the now. Um, you, the guest on the album. I mean, he has um, B.J. the Chicago Kid, The Game, Talib Kweli, Rhapsody, Schoolboy Q, and it's a small number of collabor collaborators. But it's everybody's like very intentional. Like on the song with uh, B.J. the Chicago Kid. Um, Anderson switches to rapping while BJ is singing. So he's he knows how to use um, the guest on the album in a way that a lot of people don't think about. Um, I just think it's it's one of those albums um, for modern day times. It's just one of those albums that um, really gives insight into the now. I think if 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the line and we want to know like what was life like in the late 2000s or the late 2010s or whatever, um and what were people doing what were they feeling how were they feeling that's it it's like a time capsule that we'll be able to open and and know where anderson was what the world was like at the time so that's why i gotta go with malibu over 24k i get you so i mean the thing is isn't one of those debates where i definitely would never tear down one just for my own personal argument sakes because everything you said i agree with it i would say it's still one of my top five favorite albums from from the 2010s like it is introspective for him to be you know not I'm, i won't say he was an independent artist but for him to be somebody who was not even really established or known at that point it was a very very polished but still like gritty and personal album now with 24 karat magic they're kind of polar opposites on the surface 
when you get to it, it's still a lot of the same reasons that I enjoy Anderson, but a little bit different uh, when it comes to music and music itself. So with 24 Karat Magic, of course, a lot of folks do see Bruno as kind of a character who might kind of adopt to whatever it is. Before he had this album, he was more so the hooligans. It was more so straight 60s type of doo-wop type music. Then you had Uptown Funk, which had him kind of explore his funk side, 70s, kind of late 70s, really more early 80s, I would say. Then you heard 24 Karat Magic. So I remember first hearing that, that single, I was at work. I think my homegirl Whitney texted me like, hey, you heard the new Bruno uh, song, 24 Karat Magic. And for me being somebody who grew up on, especially that 80s kind of Ohio, Roger and Zap, and that one-way type of funk that went into that West Coast, like that appeals to me right away. And funny enough, both of them are from the West Coast, but not in the traditional cities of LA and the Bay. It's where Anderson's from Oxnard and yeah, Hawaii's the West. It's the most West you can get technically <laughs> for America. But, yeah. <laughs> but but with that, he shows a lot of that kind of West Coast influence when it comes to just kind of the the vibes, the upbeat, the energy to it. So it's where 24 Karat Magic is a single. As much of, as big as it was commercially, it still had an actual authentic funk to it. You know, of course, it was uh, co-written by, um, you know, by Brody Brown. He's straight up L.A., you know, so it wasn't like... Um, of course, Philip Lawrence coming from Indiana, so it wasn't like it was it was people who were behind this project that were just like imitators. Like people might see it as a great karaoke album, but when you li- when you actually listen to the album song for song, it's a lot more than that. So it's one of those albums that, in the same vein as a like off the wall thriller, even Illmatic, only has nine songs. And I remember when it came out, it was one of those albums that I would play over and over because it's only thirty three minutes long, and I was the type, all right, it's over, back to track number one. All the way through again, back to track number one. And it's where each song had an obvious influence to it, but it wasn't like he was imitating each one. I felt like he was really able to cherry pick his, you know, from, from each each previous era to make the best song possible. So even on 24 Karat Magic, yeah, it has an 80s funk backdrop, but lyrically he, he has a sense of humor of 2016, talking about Inglewood's finest shoes and, you know, and your, your ugly friends. But then he has a kind of a trap breakdown toward the end. So he's able to kind of take the best elements. When you hear Chunky, that song is straight up influenced by Ain't No Fun. But of course, it's more of a family friendly Ain't No Fun. I can't play Ain't No Fun with your grandma around. So, and back to you. Um, Yeah, I, so for uh, 24 Karat Magic, um, I've heard the singles and it was my nephews love, like love, love, love Bruno Mars. But especially that album, um, I I can't say it's not a bad album because I haven't heard it. But what I will say is when it comes to Anderson and uh, Bruno, they work very well together, obviously. But more of this, this soul, this element of soul that Anderson has that I just don't feel Bruno has and displays. Um, and it's, it's just evident on Malibu, like the storytelling like he's painting these narratives simply with music you know there's live instrumentation there's like the stellar production like it reminds you um i've heard people say everything from like stevie wonder's inner visions to like kendrick lamar's to pimp a butterfly because he's mixing um these elements from different genres together and basically making a modern day soul classic um in my opinion, Malibu is a modern day soul classic. Uh, it Anderson might not have been as big, um, and many people might not have, especially on the East Coast, caught on like when that album dropped. But I had my ears to the streets, and when I heard it, 
it was the albums I named earlier, the Mary, My Life, Solange is a Seat at the Table, D'Angelo Voodoo. It was like hearing one of those albums for the first time, but just as an older person now. And I, I think I knew how my parents may have felt when they heard like Usher's Confessions. It's like, oh, so this is what's going on with people now. Like, this is the thing. When I heard Malibu, it was a world I didn't really know. So I was like, okay, so this is what's going on. This is, you know, how Anderson feels. This is like, you know, life in Oxnard or life on the West Coast. This is uh, his perspective. I definitely hear it. And I mean, the thing about that, so a lot of people do kind of say that Bruno doesn't have that same soul. What I would say is that musically, he is a very inclined artist. So no matter how much people say that he isn't original, is where I think he replaces what, because, you know, the thing about us, we do um, give a lot of credit to originality and being groundbreaking. But with him, I feel like it's a bit different. I feel like he's original in the way that he he's able to marry everything that he was into and present it in a different way. So it's like, as much as I love the music on uh, Malibu, I feel like, 24 Karat Magic musically is actually a great album. Like no matter how commercially polished it is, when you actually hear how, how those songs are composed, it's like as far as the singles go, like that's what I like was definitely the most the most modern sounding that might have had a little bit of some 90s 2000s in it, but overall it's the most modern sounding song. But when you hear something like Calling All My Lovelies, like that song there is straight up 80s. Like I could have heard somebody from 83, 84. I could have heard a Dennis Edwards or somebody like that on it, and just hearing the the breakdowns at the end, I feel like just the way his songs are composed and they're brought to life even more so when you see it live. I saw 24 Karat uh, live when he, when he did it at the uh, Staples Center and seeing it live and seeing how he was able to expand on, on, on those songs, even watching the Apollo special he had, it's where uh, the album was, was composed so well that he's able to expand and make it even better when you hear it in person because I would say he's definitely one of the greatest live uh, performers out there currently and that's the thing about his music. I feel like like every time he took a song or took a concept, it wasn't like, oh, he's just trying to make something from each era. Each time he did it, he succeeded. Because I mean, finesse, as much as we say this album is New Jack Swing, it's really just finesse, honestly. That's the only song that's really a New Jack Swing attempt. And even that one is a, a dope song. It's like as much as it might, we, we might say we've heard a million New Jack Swing songs, I could play it next to the top 20 New Jack Swing songs and it doesn't sound out of place. Like it's not Poison, it's not Guy I Like, it's not Keep Sweat I Want Her. It's not remember the time, but it, it fits in with that. Um, yeah. I, I will say I love the fact that uh, both Anderson and Bruno, for these two albums in particular, um, did the majority, if not all, of the writing. Um, I think the difference is on 24 Karat Magic, uh, Bruno and his people produced the entire thing. While Anderson didn't produce everything on Malibu, I think that's what gives it the edge for me as well. Um, just you know, those different sounds from different producers and how he's able to bring all of that to life and merge it all into the, this nice cohesive package. Um, it's not necessarily a tribute to soul. He's not trying to emulate a sound that he's heard or that he misses. It's really just him on that album, Malibu, pouring out his heart in the way that he knows and expressing himself um, musically. And that's why I enjoy it. I don't I don't really think Bruno could give me that same feeling, but I'll listen. I get it. I get it. I mean, overall, like, I'm not mad at all about you picking Malibu, but I'm still running with 24. I feel like 
even with um, everything being produced by Bruno and his folks, it, every song still sounded different. I don't think there's a single song that sounds like anything else. When you get um, Versace on the floor, that sounded like a straight up smooth 80s, mid 80s ballad. But then Straight Up and Down had the Shy sample. That was more early 90s. And he had the Too Good to Say Goodbye with Babyface uh, producing. But that sounded more 70s. I feel like each song sounded like a different part of each, uh, each era that he was going for. But... It sounded like it could go up next to anything from those areas and it wouldn't sound out of place. And that's the main thing about it. I feel like each one was definitely well written. And he's just one of the best at having those crescendos and having those songs where you, you get sucked into it and then you get to those high points of the song and you, you like it even more. And seeing him do all these do all these shows live, like it really brings it to life even more. So it's probably hard to even compare it without really if you haven't really heard the album, but overall, I'm still going to roll, roll with Bruno. Obviously, he had the more acclaim. He had the Grammys and he had the sales. But even aside from that, I would say I'm, I'm rolling with that. But uh, don't matter what we say. It's about what our producers say. So I'm, I'm going to see. Uh, let's see. Melissa and the lady. Of course, we know the lady has a concert experience because I was at the concert with her <laughs> seeing Bruno. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. So obviously, we... We've seen that, and I know that she's seen Silk Sonic in person before. So, um, so with that, uh, what's one of y'all two want to go first? Either way, either way. I think the argument was stronger for Bruno, um, for for me, and I can't deny like the album is really good, and it is definitely way better when it's performed live. I think Anderson's is also good. Um, but I just felt like the arguments were, the argument was stronger for Bruno. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, Melissa, what, what was you say? Um, I really love both of these albums. Um, I, I think like me and like most people heard Bruno's first and I was playing that one over and over again. And then I didn't even hear I didn't even know who Bruno, uh, who Anderson was until like two or three years ago when one of his songs mm. came up on, it was just playing on one of the playlists that I had. And I had stopped literally and I was like, who is this? <laughs> um, and then I went and listened to this uh, Malibu album and um, gosh, I, it, th- I this is really tough because like, like you both said, they both work really well together, um, but I'm going to have to go with EB on this one because I liked what he said about it being a modern day soul classic. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so it's like it's a tie. So we know what that means. Everybody on social media, let us know. I mean, I already know. Like, I know most of my folks are going to say Malibu for sure, and I'm not mad about that. I know that that's because I, I first heard of uh, Anderson really before he did the uh, the Compton album with Dr. Dre back in 2015. When the Compton album came out, uh, he was all over the album. Time of the movie, yeah, he's all over that album, and yeah. he killed that Animals song. I was like, yeah, whoever this is on Animals, I'm tuning into whatever he's making. So Malibu dropped immediately after that, and it was like, okay, I was playing it right when it first came out. So, so definitely, uh, I mean, I definitely ride with both of them. I'm happy that they have the collective together. I'm curious to see if their next project, if they even make a project part two, they probably have to at this point. But is they it gonna be, to, yeah, is it gonna be seventies again? Are they gonna? collectively evolve and go 80s now or is it going to be yeah it's not going to be 70s i, I can almost guarantee you don't think I think, so i think they both really? are too innovative like they're always mm. switching it up um okay they, i don't think it'll be 70s i don't think so interesting okay okay yeah. 
And uh, EB, you got some homework. Just play the album. Listen, it's only 33 I, you minutes. Know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to uh, set my private listening on so it don't throw my algorithm off on Spotify <laughs> wow. or Fido because I don't want them suggesting wow. it. But it's funny. you like most of your people would probably say um, Malibu. Anderson has the Malibu. But most of my yeah. people would probably say it's Bruno. Like Really? Yeah, really? it's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's two totally different audiences in, in a sense because, I mean, it's where most of uh, most of our parents, like, I remember uh, when we first saw Silk Sonic, my mom was just like, what happened to, to uh, Bruno's old band? And I'm like, oh, no, that's him and Anderson Pack. <laughs> yeah. Like, Who's Anderson? So it's like a lot of older folks just know because aunties love some Bruno. They, we know that. Yeah. My mom love Bruno. Yeah. And it's like yeah. Anderson almost was somewhat of an anti-Bruno initially because it was like he was the non-commercial one. He was the one who was like straight gritty, you know. So seeing them collab was crazy, but it's like it's been working perfectly for him. So. So we'll see what everybody says. So everybody who's tuned in, please let us know your opinions. Hashtag Behind the Wheels Pod on social media. Let us know. And also, if you have any suggestions for any future upcoming episodes for topics on any any of our segments, go ahead and send an email to BehindTheWheelsPod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate and review us on Apple and Spotify playlists. I mean, podcasts, I should say. Apple and Spotify podcasts. It helps uh, listeners to find our show. And uh, we also have a Spotify playlist for y'all, too. It'll be in the notes of the episode. So once again, we appreciate y'all for being tuned in. Um, thank you to our special guest, Charlie Burrell, as well. Um, EB, where can they find you at? Uh, I'm everywhere on social media at EB for Prez. EB, the number four, and Prez is P-R-E-Z. And uh, in a few weeks, uh, people will be able to once again visit my website, it is coming okay. back. Bringing uh, it back. Yeah, yeah, bringing it back after a long time. Had to get some things in place, but yeah, I'll I'll make that announce that announcement whenever it happens. Okay, okay. You got the webmaster uh, going to work right now, so okay. Yeah. Salute to that. You can find me on uh, find me at DJ RTISTIC on Twitter, Instagram, of course TikTok now. The website DJR-TISTIC. Uh, if your auntie wants to add me on Facebook, I'm at R-T-I-S-T-I-C-310. Tell her don't be sending me no messages because I don't check my messages on Facebook. So I don't care if she tries to have a whole conversation with me. I'm going to just see it and I'm not going to have it as read. So don't no offense Don't block your blessing. Her. Don't block your blessing. Hey. I mean, if she paying through loans or something, hey. Hey, but, hey but, they, they might. <laughs> hey, they might be doing that. So I appreciate you all for being tuned in. We'll see you all at the next one then. Artistic out. We out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and The Lady Sec. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.